Father in heaven, your word is true. We have just sung about your wonderful grace. And now, Father, we ask you to pour out your grace yet again, that you, O God, the Holy Spirit, might open our hearts, that you might impart your word to our hearts. The preaching of this word will be in vain if you, O Holy Spirit, do not attend to it. And so we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please take your Bibles as you remain standing and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, God's word for God's people. When you come into that land the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispossess listen to fortune tellers and diviners but as for you the lord your god has not allowed you to do this the word of the lord is eternal and stands firm in the heavens it's perfect reviving the soul and may this powerful word by the power of the holy spirit revive our souls today you may be seated it is not that big of a deal that used to be my view concerning a woman's right to end her pregnancy. It's a view that many hold in our day. It's a view that some of you may hold, but it's no longer my response to the legalization of abortion on demand. After coming to grips with the scriptural teaching on the sanctity of life in the early 80s, I completely changed my view to this. Abortion, it's a big deal. The sanctity of life, it's a really big deal. We are returning to our study of, of Deuteronomy Today, even though we're jumping ahead about seven chapters to this passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 18 in order to deal with what God is telling us in Deuteronomy 18 verses 9 and 10 specifically on this Sanctity of Life Sunday. Now fret not, in the weeks to come we will go back and we will cover chapters 12 through 18 and pick up those portions that we have skipped over. And our outline today is this. It was a big deal then. It was a big deal then that the Israelites sacrificed their infants. And it's a big deal now. It's a big deal now that infants, unborn infants, are sacrificed. And the sanctity of life, it's a big deal. It was a big deal then, and it's a big deal now. That's our outline today. It was a big deal then. 
The context of Deuteronomy chapter 18 is Moses' second sermon. And that second sermon spans from chapter 12 in Deuteronomy all the way to chapter 27. And in this section of Scripture, in this second sermon, what Moses is seeking to do is to present to that new generation poised to go into the promised land a list of stipulations that outline how they are to live, specific ways they are to live as they go in and possess the land. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. That's the theme of the second sermon that Moses gives. And then in Deuteronomy 18, he immediately goes in to a list of abominable practices of the Canaanite people in the promised land. And what is the very first abominable practice that is dealt with? Verse 10, when you, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his sons or his daughter as an offering. In 1921, the Topheth, which is a cemetery, a burial ground, was discovered at the site of ancient Carthage in North Africa. Archaeologist Francis Kelsey excavated the Topheth in 1925, and he discovered hundreds of burial urns. And he concluded that the number he found suggests there were many more buried in that topeth. And those burial urns contained the charred remains of infants whose parents had sacrificed them to false deities. In the case of Carthage, it was likely to the god, the false god, Saturn. The fact that the urns were buried and some of them were smashed because subsequent burials were such a, uh, at such a rate that they just simply smashed the new urn in on the other suggests that over a lengthy period of time there were many infant sacrifices there at Carthage. In fact, this practice extended over 600 years from 750 B.C. to 147 B.C. Infants were burned on an altar as an offering to a false god. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine anyone doing that? From 400 to 200 BC, as many as 20,000 urns, 20,000 infant sacrifice, 20,000 urns with charred remains of human beings were found. The Tophet at Carthage serves as evidence indisputable evidence of the detestable practice of human sacrifice in the ancient culture 
the detestable practice of taking the most vulnerable of society, a young infant, and burning them on an altar as an offering. The stipulation, really warning, that we find in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, verses 9 through 10, was unheeded by future generations of Israelites. In other words, future generations of Israelites disobeyed the stipulation of Deuteronomy 18 and verse 10. And they offered their children to the false deities of the Canaanites. Listen to this, Jeremiah 7:31, And they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. And later in Jeremiah, chapter 19 and verse 5, and the people have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Second Chronicles 28 and verse 3. And he, King Ahaz, made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Now the valley of Ben-Hinnom is the valley that is on the other side of the city of Jerusalem, the other side from the, the, uh, the valley that would be up to the Mount of Olives. Right outside the city wall of Jerusalem, right outside the city gate of Jerusalem, in the days of the divided monarchy, in particular King Ahaz and other Israelite kings, pagan worship took place and infants were sacrificed, in this case, either to the god Moloch or Baal, the false god Moloch or Baal. Can you believe it? Well, you better believe it because it's fact, it's historical fact. It was a big deal then that the Israelites were called to worship exclusively God, Yahweh. They were to be monotheists, but they broke the first commandment, Exodus 20 and verse 3, and they bowed the knee to Baal, even offering their infant sons and daughters as sacrifices. Further, they broke the sixth commandment, Exodus 20 and verse 13, by committing murder, the taking of an innocent life, in this case, children. And if you're disturbed by calling what they did murder, then let me give you biblical proof and warrant for doing so. In the law code of Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 21 and chapter 20 and verses 2 through 5, human sacrifice was forbidden as a matter of Mosaic law. And the death penalty was imposed as a matter of Mosaic law to anyone who would sacrifice a human being, including an infant. Genesis 9-6 reminds us 
Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. This is obviously referring to the negligent, the, the, the intentional taking of a human, of an innocent human life, murder. And the point I want to make here is that the value of human life is demonstrated in the penalty associated with taking it. And that is that the life of the murderer also be forfeited. And so it is not only reasonable, it is biblically accurate to call what Ahaz did, what Israelites did in the valley of ben Hinnom, what the Canaanites did, what they did at the Tophet in Carthage as murder. Violating the sixth commandment. It was a big deal then, according to God's word, to offer up your infants as a sacrifice to false deities. And it's a big deal now. I see a connection between the practice of offering infant children as sacrifices to pagan deities, as was practiced throughout the ancient cultures, especially the Canaanite cultures, that, that culture in which the Old Testament accounts largely take place. I see a connection between that detestable practice and today's detestable practice of the legalization and practice of abortion on demand. Further, the practice of sacrificing infants for religious purposes, God called an abomination, then surely the practice of aborting unborn infants as a matter of choice for convenience, as a right out of ignorance, whatever it may be for the benefit of the mother or the father is an abomination now. It's a big deal. In 1924, Count de Provac participated in that excavation there at the Tophet in Carthage. And this is some of what he concluded. This is a dreadful period of human degeneracy that we are now unearthing in the famous temple of Tenet, that is the open-air precinct. But such is archaeology. In one spot, we may be uncovering works of priceless art and traces of the advancement of civilization. And in another spot, the contrasting decadence shown in the revelation of such a cult as found at the Tophet. The sacrifice of the unborn to the God of convenience or a mother's right or whatever the man-centered rationale may be in our day is inconsistent with the biblical teaching on the sanctity of life. And further, it begs the question, it begs this question, is our civilization really progressing? What will future archaeologists say as they excavate the United States of America if the Lord tarries that long? As those future archaeologists may uncover priceless works of art wonderful advances in technology and the remains of the unborn scattered about this land. 
Will they ponder the inconsistency like Provok there at the Tophet in Carthage? How can such a civilization so advanced be so decadent to support such an industry? I've had this thought. I've had this thought for many years. It very well could be that the ancient cultures were more civilized than our cultures. The ancients, when they sacrificed their infants, at least they buried them. And what do we do? And pardon my directness, abortionists sell parts and dump the remains in a dumpster. That's what we do. Tell me who's more civilized, relatively. The number of infants' graves at the tofu of the carpets numbers in the tens of thousands, and likely the number's much greater than that. The number of infants sacrificed at the altar of a mother's choice is staggering. I believe outpacing the number of infants sacrificed in the ancient cultures that we've talked about. There is good news, though. The CDC has reported that the overall abortion rate from 2007 to 2016 has decreased by 24%. The lowest level of abortions, the lowest rate of abortion since Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973 occurred in 2014 to 2015. Now, a decline in abortion rate is good. Please don't get me wrong. But the horrifying fact still remains. Since Roe v. Wade legalized abortion in 1973, it is estimated by the National Right to Life Committee that over, get this, 61 million infants have been aborted in this country since 1973. 61 million lives ended. Infant sacrifice was a big deal then. And infant sacrifice of the unborn today is a big deal. And it's a big deal because of the third point, the sanctity of life. I think there are three, at least three biblical reasons that we must come to the conclusion that the Bible clearly teaches the sanctity of human life. First, God created life. He continues. He grants it. We read about this as Kevin read Psalm 139, verse 13, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And as we talk about God creating life, we've got to ask the question, when does life begin? The Bible teaches life begins at conception. The fertilized egg, the embryo, is given the status of personhood, Job chapter 3, verse 3. The designation of personhood is applied to the unborn, John the Baptist, Luke chapter 1, verses 13 and following. And both Isaiah and Jeremiah were called to their prophetical offices, not just before they were born, but before they were conceived. 
Jeremiah 49.1, Jeremiah 1.5. Similarly, one of the things we rejoice about in Ephesians chapter 1 is that God knew us before he created anything. God knew us individually and specifically before he created anything, before any of us were conceived. To abort an unborn child at any stage from conception on is to take a human life. This is what our denomination has said. I quote, that because Scripture clearly affirms the sanctity of human life and condemns it arbitrary destruction, we affirm that the intentional killing of an unborn child between conception and birth for any reason at any time is clearly a violation of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. That's a strong statement. And the question is often asked, what about rape? What about the life of the mother being endangered? Our denomination's position is that there are no exceptions, even with rape. With regards to the mother's life, being in danger. This is what our denom- this is the counsel our denomination has given. This is this is what we believe as a denomination. And I quote again, the premature removal of the unborn child may be justified, that is, in the case of the mother's life being in danger, provided that all medical wisdom, judgment, and skill are used to preserve the life of the child as well as the life of the mother. This premature removal of the unborn child shall be at that juncture of time for the greatest possibility for recovery is indicated for both mother and child. If life is lost in such a case and death occurs not out of criminal negligence but merely out of the limitations of human knowledge and skill, all has been done morally that could be done. If we cannot save both lives, we are nevertheless morally bound to save the life we can. Now, we understand the dilemma and complexity and the heartache of these, these very rare cases of rape and the mother's life being in danger. But a consistent biblical understanding is that even these do not generally form an exception. Life is sacred from conception because God is the author of it. And the second reason life is sacred is because you're created in his own image. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. The, date, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul said this, In biblical terms, the sanctity of life is rooted and grounded in creation. Being created in the image of God is what sets humans apart from all other creatures. The stamp of the image and likeness of God connects God and mankind uniquely. Though there is not biblical warrant for making man godlike, there is a high view of dignity associated with this unique relationship to the Creator. Life is sacred because you're created in the image of God. Thirdly, life is sacred because God has created us with a special design and purpose. Kevin read Psalm 139, and maybe you picked up these phrases and words as that psalm was read. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are intricately woven. You knitted me together. From physical attributes to personality, each one of us is uniquely 
created a special design as God's image bearers. And further, we are created for a special purpose. And there may be many purposes, but certainly the chief purpose is this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. We are created and we are redeemed to be God's sons and daughters. That's our purpose. To live as God's people, that's our purpose. To be part of his means to bring about his purposes to further his kingdom, that's our purpose. Maybe we could sum it all up and to, to summarize it like the confession summarizes it. What is achieved in the man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What a purpose. What a glorious purpose. We are created uniquely design and we are created for this grand glorious purpose of being the sons and daughters of the living God the Bible teaches the doctrine of the sanctity of life God created human life we're created in his image with design and purpose life is sacred and let me once again read from our denominations position on this our obedience to the Word of God leaves us with no option regarding how we perceive the unborn child. He is a person providentially given and cared for by God with uninterrupted continuity in postnatal life. Were there to be no support in the whole of history of ethical and moral thought, were there no acknowledged confirmation from the medical sciences, were the history of legal opinion to the contrary, we would still have to conclude on the basis of God's holy word that the unborn child is a person in the sight of God. He is protected by the sanctity of life, graciously given to each individual by the Creator who alone places His image upon man and grants them any right to life which they have. Sacrificing infants to false deities was a really big deal then in the era of the Old Testament people. Sacrificing infants by way of abortion now is a really big deal in our day because the sanctity of life is a big deal. It is important. I have sought to be clear, direct, forthright with what the Bible teaches about the sanctity of life and about the abominable practices for purpose that we would be reminded of the gravity of what we are observing today. It's a big deal. And I want to give us four ways to respond. I want us to make a big deal, a really big deal out of prayer. I want us to pray that God would end this abominable practice in our land. I want us to pray that God would convert the abortionist and all those who are part of that industry. I want us to pray that God would pour out his healing grace of mercy 
upon those untold number of mothers and fathers who have suffered years from abortion that they would find freedom in Jesus. I want us to pray. I want this spring's, get it now, this spring's 40 Days of Life campaign. Kevin and Jill and Jim and Suzanne are going to have a table in the foyer at some point over the next couple of months for us to sign up to come and pray one hour outside of the abortion clinic here in West Little Rock. Praise God for the last two times we've done that for people signing up. But let me tell you, I do not want to bind anybody's conscience, but if you don't sign up, it needs to be something significant that would prevent you from signing up. Make it a big deal, prayer. And one way to make it a big deal is to commit yourself to joining others in praying that abortion would end. And then the second thing I want to tell us, tell us to do, ask us to do, suggest that we do, I actually encourage us to do, is to participate. Pray, participate. We have the opportunity this afternoon to participate. Again, not trying to bind anybody's conscience. But this is one, the March for Life is just one opportunity for us to peacefully protest, take a stand for what the Bible says about the sanctity of life. You may not be able to go. You don't need to feel guilty about that. But I want to encourage us to go this afternoon. But I also want to encourage us to participate in ministries like Caring Hearts and Deeper Still. I want to encourage us to participate in the gift of giving to these pro-life ministries that, that we support here at Covenant. I want to ask us to participate in really taking a stand at the ballot box. Again, I'm not trying to bind your conscience. I'm not going to tell anybody how to vote. But I can say this, and I'll say it as clear as I can. The Word of God should inform how you vote at the ballot box. Amen? Participate. Take a stand. We're not promoting the national right to life. We're promoting the biblical doctrine of the sanctity of life. And then provide. Pray, participate, provide. We may be really great at speaking against abortion and all of that. But are we providing for the needs of those mothers who have chosen to give their babies up for adoption? Are we providing for those babies as they go through that process of adoption? Are we willing to adopt? Are we providing through the ministry of mercy? And then fourth, we preach. Yes, I'm calling all of you to preach. Men and women alike, proclaim God's word. <laughs> proclaim God's grace. Make prayer a big deal. Make participation a big deal. Make providing 
for those in need in this whole area and practice of abortion. And then finally, make a big deal out of preaching. That is just simply declaring the truth of God graciously and lovingly. We need to preach to our congressmen and our senators. We need to preach to whoever is in the White House. We need to preach to whoever is in the judiciary. We need to proclaim. We need to be, little p, prophetic to our country what God says about this abominable practice of abortion and what God says about life. We need to come alongside the, the, the people that Jim and Suzanne are coming alongside of, and deeper still, that, that are post-abortive and suffering. And we need to proclaim the good news of the gospel that, listen, as abominable as the practice is, even labeling it murder, there is forgiveness and there is freedom and there is grace in Jesus Christ. And you can be transformed you can be made new. And we need to preach that to people. We just simply need to make a big deal out of advocating for what the Bible teaches with regards to the sanctity of life. And the best way that we can do that is by representing with our words the truth of God about the sanctity of life and the abominable practice of abortion. So I am asking you, I am pleading with you that as a congregation, let us make a big deal out of prayer. Let us make a big deal out of participating. Let us make a big deal out of providing for needs and let us make a big deal out of preaching the truth that life is sacred. Because God created it. God creates us in our image. God has created us with a unique, special design and for a unique, special purpose. When I look back at how I used to think, abortion, it's not a big deal. I must tell you, I am sad. I am horrified. I just can't believe it. But God brought me to see the truth of Scripture. And my prayer is that we'd all be reminded of that truth. Because the sanctity of life is a really big deal. Let us pray. Father, I, I pray that you would pour out your grace upon us. And I pray that you would... Bless your people here at Covenant. Father, this church has a history of promoting the biblical doctrine of sanctity of life. I just remember some of our early elders and Pastor Rick Canada took the lead on legislation years ago here in our state that promoted life. Thank you, Father, for over the years, many here in this congregation taking a stand, uh, praying and participating and providing and preaching the good news of the gospel and taking a, a real strong stand on the sanctity of life. And Father, I pray that you would enliven us even more, that in the years to come that we may continue 
to promote and to embrace and to declare that the life that you grant is sacred. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.